Welcome to the Level Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And Andre. I could not get you to stop talking. What a woman speak. Do you see what I'm saying? How to break through with your spouse, your partner. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. How did you handle this? The man's kind of got it good. I feel like you're getting off on a little bit of soapbox. This is me rolling my eyes. This is really great. I really... Rolling. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are so excited to have you with us. Uh, if you haven't chosen to subscribe to this podcast yet, we just want to take one quick second <laughs> and... Are you laughing at my announcements? Yeah, you sound like an announcer oh, right now. Do you want me to be more authentic? Check. Prescribe. <laughs> I mean, click. Prescribe. It will make your marriage better. Not prescribe. Oh, my goodness. Subscribe. You're, yeah, I'm in my medical ease right now. Oh, so we're in the process of making 100 interviews, doing 100 interviews with couples from all over the nation, hopefully the world, on this idea of uh, love or work. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? Today, we have a really fun podcast. This is lighthearted, but also we ask some pretty tough questions. I wouldn't call it lighthearted, but it was great. Uh, we talked to Lee Roy and Donna Barber. They are the co-founder of The Voices Project, and Leroy is also the author of his latest book, Red, brown, yellow, black, white, who's more precious in God's sight? And yeah, they've been friends of ours for years. Actually, a, a thing that happened uh, over the last year, Leroy, right before all the uh, things happened in the football season, he chose to, to take a year off from watching the NFL football. This is a little known fact. But he did this video, and there was millions of views online. It was kind of a really... I think it was a really cool thing in his story to uh, go out on a limb and and um, and stand, stand for something, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, really powerful. So you should look them up online. All right, and you can find, especially regarding the Voices Project, it is www.voices-project.org. So three things to listen for today. Uh, the first thing is this thought by Donna. She says the kids are not the center of the family. Everyone Amen. is important. Hallelujah. And so how that shapes how you make decisions as a family. She basically said, if the kids are the center, they will take control. Yes. Truth. Number two, we ask them a lot about raising uh, African-American boys and, and Leroy shares really honestly about shaping the identity of his kids in a really beautiful way. And then number three, it happens at the very, very end of the interview. And Donna, it's the last question we asked. She says this quote, women too often in marriage disappear. Yeah. And wow. I, I, when she said that, I was like, wow. That needs to be shared over and over. And then in a response, an empowerment thought from her around the identity of women in marriage and the importance of that. Yes. It was so good, guys. I hope you love it as much as we did. Enjoy it. Here's Leroy and Donna. Okay, let's start. Let's warm you guys up a little bit. My first question is, tell us about the moment that each of you knew that you were the one. The one forever. This is my person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Tell us about that moment where it became clear to each of you. Wow. wow. That was so long ago. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Are you uh, saying you don't remember? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. You go first so, I can, so my memory can be <laughs> This is going to be real. Hope that this 
relationship lasts after this interview. We um, promote love. We promote love here. <laughs> oh, I think I just got, I just remembered okay. one. Okay. So we were having, we were friends uh, in college together. And so we were having this conversation about, I, I don't remember how we got into the conversation, but the conversation centered around her always challenging me about a rule I'm following or not following. And me eventually that winding around to, well, if we were married and I got in, you know, and I was in trouble or, you know, would you lie for me? And she was like, no, you're just going to jail. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, are you serious? And she was just like, I'm not lying for you. If you do something wrong, you're just going to jail, whether you're my husband or not. And I was like, <laughs> we argued about it. And then later on, I was like, all right, this probably this person's probably really good for me. Uh, keep me out of jail. So that's funny you say that because Andre always tells says to me, like, if I do go to jail, don't call her. Call my friend Josh. <laughs> that's don't let me be your first phone call. She's like, I will I'll make you like, stay overnight. Enjoy that night stay. <laughs> I hope you feel that. You think about it overnight, right? Yeah, yeah. you think about that tonight. I'll see you tomorrow. Well, what about you, Donna? I can remember, well, I think there it was in two points. It was the first, we were going to some church thing, some Sunday school conference. And up until then, I had never thought of him in those terms. And then he... I remember him coming out of the church that day and I looked up and saw him. And for some reason, it was like I saw him for the first time. And I remember like being like, huh, like all of a sudden he became a consideration. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was like the first big point because we had been friends. We had known each other, but I had never considered him like that. And then uh, I think the second Part of that was once um, once we were all, you know, in a relationship and dating and um, talking about marriage. And he had come up to see me in the dorms at, at uh, college and he had fallen asleep. And I was sitting at my desk thinking and then I remember looking at him and saying, God, is this really the person that I'm supposed to be with? And really feeling like that answer from God saying, yes, it's going to be okay. And, um, and so that was kind of it. Like, like, okay. Yeah. He talked to God about it. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, and you've been married how many years now? 33. 33 years. And you have how many kids and how many grandkids? We have six kids and one grand, one grandkid. Okay. I love it. Well, let's kind of talk about, you guys are pretty different people. Leroy, I kind of consider you more of a visionary, kind of out there. You speak a lot, you travel a lot. And Donna, I don't know, I've always, this might just be me, but I've always just looked at you as this like quiet doer. And not in the sense of quiet, like you're not going to like you'll say you're mine, but more of just you are grounded, you're, you're in it, you're very um, invested in your people. And so you just have very different personalities. That's pretty accurate. So, so yeah, so tell us about how that has played out in your relationship. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> you want to start? <laughs> um, 
Well, I think we have been in conflict from the time we met. (laughs) 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 So we, we are definitely opposites and we disagree about a whole lot of things. (laughs) And I think that at the beginning in our marriage, there was probably the attempt to try to get the other person to be like, you know, Mm -hmm. yourself. There was in trying to work through understanding what is wrong. Why doesn't he see things this way? Why doesn't he want to do it this way? This, of course, is the right way. Because <laughs> that's my way. Why is there this problem? And then maybe 10, 15 years into it, getting to the place of, well, this will probably never change. We'll just have to live with these, you know, differences and decide because we've committed to be together that we'll just live with that. But then I think probably maybe another five or 10 years after that, getting to the place of, wow, I really appreciate those differences. Mm. I need those differences in my life because I'm not that way. I don't see the world that way and I need that. But I think it was definitely that progression through the years of our marriage. You start off at one place and eventually you realize, I guess eventually you get to where you do agree with God. Like, oh, okay, I can see why this person, why you gave me this person at the beginning. Like, I don't understand why. (laughs) And there's probably still moments where he feels like he doesn't understand. (laughs) But um, A lot of moments. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, we're strongly opinionated and we're going to disagree and but now after a while, you know each other more. So it's like, you don't even have to fight. You already know what the, what the <laughs> progression <laughs> be. <laughs> so just like, yep, whatever. And you go on. What about you, Leroy? Yeah, I think I figured out probably about halfway into our marriage that she was hard headed and that she's not going to come to my side. So, uh, I might as well give in and, uh, Except for who she is. That probably, yeah, that probably took a good 15 years. Um, wow. You hear that, everybody? 15 <laughs> years for that. Easy, because we're both very strong, have very strong opinions about things that don't match. So that difference probably started solidifying about, I, I guess, yeah, about 15 years in, just accepting. Uh, and then I think... Uh, appreciating what the person brings to the relationship, to family, to our work. And we kind of let each other do their thing and then try to bring it together. When we try to like start from the beginning, like, okay, let's, we're going to do this project. It's like, oh my gosh, she's trying to do her point. I'm trying to do mine. It gets all crazy, but it's much better when we know we got to do something. She does her part. I do mine. And then we, and then we bring them together with some uh, more formed opinions. I think that there is a part of me that always wants us to, why can't we just work this, work on this together? There's probably still a part of me that wants to do that. Um, Cause I'm such a, an external processor. I want to talk through something with someone, but then uh, it ends up being frustration because he's not going to see things the way that I want him to see it. <laughs> so like, maybe not. <laughs> Are there ever times where you're like, 
man, if I bring this up, I need to bring it up with my partner, but I already know what they're going to say. I don't even really want to talk to them about this right now because it's just not going to go in the right direction, right? What are you thinking of, yeah. honey? Yeah, definitely. Daily, probably. But <laughs> no, not daily, but yeah. So, so Donna, I know, I know, you know, Leroy and I are great friends and we're both great visionaries. Great, yes. So if you, if someone listening was married to a visionary, what uh, advice would you give them? I would say give them room, space to, to do that. Even if that means outside of your primary relationship. Like I think one of the best times, at least it seemed for me, for Leroy was when we were in Atlanta and he was uh, working at FCS with Nate. And the two of them would have these dreaming sessions together, you know, and they could just go off and off the deep end, as far as I was concerned, like into this land of what if and we could do and all that. And I thought that was good for him to have that space to do that because I'm always going to be like, how is that going to happen? You know, like, what are the practical steps? Well, I don't see how we're going to pay for that. How's there time for that? Where's the resource for that? And um, I realized that he needs the space to just let the idea form and grow. But I can't help being who I am. So that may mean that that he has to do that in another, you know, in another space and then come and share it after he's passed that initial formation of the idea. When I'm ready for it to get hacked up, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, it's actually interesting you said that. We haven't talked about this in a long time, but there was a similar scenario. Andre used to be on our board at Plywood, and sometimes our board meetings would turn into a little bit of an idea session, and she would... Oh, I'd get so stressed she'd out. She'd get stressed out about it, but when in reality, that's what we needed in, in that space before we shot, you know, before we started thinking about the budget or before we started... Like, we needed some space to dream uh-huh. before we cut it back. So I think that's So really I got good. myself off the board. <laughs> <laughs> I just cut myself. Give that space, right? right? I just cut myself and problem solved. I think that's really good advice, though, to understand, like, okay, this is something incredible about my partner. Let's make sure that this doesn't get squashed bef- before it needs to be, right? You know, like, to give that space and to encourage that. That's good. I think the other part was coming to understand and be okay with who I was. Because mm. I think at the beginning, I would always feel bad for what my input was. Um, and I wasn't feeling received, like I didn't feel like it was received in the spirit or what the way I was trying to offer it, um, that it was seen as you're trying to destroy this thing as opposed to, in my mind is, I want this to be successful. I'm Make it better. Yeah, where this might, where mm-hmm. the, the pitfalls are. Yeah. And I didn't get to where I was okay with that until really we did the strength finders. And, and I saw that that was one of my strengths, the liberation. And my whole way of thinking and processing was for the first time being put in the category of a strength. And once I saw that about myself and was able to just accept that and receive that about me, then it was okay if, you know, people didn't always see it that way. I knew that this was a good thing and that it was a needed thing, but it was just finding when was the right time. Mm. I love that. 
So let's shift gears a little bit. You, Leroy, and Donna are both involved in a lot of like racial discussions and all of these kind of things and have a platform in these areas. But in some senses, it's a, it can be, I don't know, contentious, tension-filled issues. Are you guys usually just on the same page about this? Is this something that for both of you, you see it very similarly in this way and move forward jointly in that way? Or is this something that you both like, kind of... Like even a calling as a family kind of? Right. Or is this something that you both kind of individually struggle with or have tensions I think that's a great question. That's a really great question. Uh, I think foundationally we're on the same page around those issues and what we believe and think. And a lot of our experiences, negative and positive, have been together in those in that area, which kind of has created a, a foundation. Mm. But I think how we solve problems is different, right? So. We, we, we're foundationally in the same place, but generally, Donna is more, um, hey, let's look at this step by step. Let's walk it along. Let's uh, listen a little more if we need to, those kinds of things. And I'm, I'm more of, no, nah, I want this thing to change. Like, and I want, I want to put the last thing out there and then work towards it. And so we go about those things a little differently, but we foundationally we agree. I think that's true, and I think what that's what allows our relationship to continue and to thrive is that on the big issues, we are on the same page. It's the working it out how how to address it. But we agree on the issues of race and privilege and poverty and all these different big things that we talk about, but how we go about addressing it, we may um, not only disagree, but it's just that we focus on different areas and, and, and we respond to it in different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love for you guys to unpack a little bit about your story that has led you to even now, like thinking about, I, I was thinking about some major transitions you guys made as a family or as a couple from one moving from Philadelphia, I think it came from Philadelphia to Eastlake in Atlanta, Eastlake to South Atlanta, South Atlanta to you're in the Portland area now, but you've made some major, like those are probably major turning points in your life or in your family's life. I'm curious, like how you guys processed those moments as a couple and said, Hey, we're going to go do this. How did that, how did that transpire? Like, again, we have different processes on how we initially hear things, I think. But if we are starting to hear the same goal through these different processes, then that kind of gets our attention. So when we moved to Atlanta, I I had a trip there. I heard something. I I thought I heard something and, and feeling something and discerning something. And while I was there, and then Donna... Uh, had experiences and thoughts and discernment at the same time. And then when we talked, it was like, hmm, we got to pay attention to this. And then start talking about it and praying about it and talking to mentors about it was the process for Atlanta, I think. Um, It just kind of came to us both from a different place. And you guys have also been very, very intentional about where you live and choosing where you live. 
not just the process necessarily, but how, how and why, what are you very specific and intentional about in your place of living? I don't know that initially we started out really using, you know, like in Philadelphia, circumstances led us to a particular place or area. And then when we moved to Atlanta, the where we lived was so much a part of the ministry, a part of the work. So it was our first visit there, Bob Lupton driving us around and, sent, and showing us, oh, this is a neighborhood we're working in would you consider living here uh, and being part of the work in that neighborhood? Mm-hmm. And, but I do think that <laughs> he showed us two houses <laughs> and um, one was a lot nicer than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I really wanted the nicer <laughs> house. But at that time, I don't think that Leroy even considered that I had a different choice. I think <laughs> house and was like, oh yeah, this is it. This is where we're supposed to be. And I remember sitting in the car and listening to him and Bob standing outside that house talking and thinking, oh my God. (laughs) But I was certain that we were supposed to be in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I was certain that we were supposed to work with that ministry. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure which house, you know, I knew my preference, but you know, but Leroy seemed a hundred percent sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I just said, okay, we'll go with that. I gotta take it when when she's like giving that space, I gotta take it. You when gotta I, take it and run. You jump on that. Come that often. <laughs> yeah. Has Leroy ever been a hundred percent like has he has he never been a hundred percent confident of the decision? Right? If he's not, he's going to fake it. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's been part of the story, I think, that we've experienced from you. Even like, I mean, once you're in your home, right? And we didn't we didn't know you back when you were in Eastlake at that neighborhood, but in your house in South Atlanta, there's this special thing that I feel like you guys lived, which was like, we have this house and it's open to our neighbors. It's open to everyone. I'm curious, uh, like so hospitable. Yeah, yeah. hospitable. It's it, this isn't just for us; it's for all of us, right? I'm curious. Has that always been the value you guys have had, and has it has it brought tension in your family at times? I'm curious about that. <laughs> I think again, it's not the that we agree that our house is supposed to be. Uh, that our house belongs to God, I'll put it that way, mm. and, he, and to be used for whatever he wants to use it for. Um, we have disagreed in how that happens sometimes. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Again, the foundation, but how you go yeah, about it is so different. is solid. Right. The how has been uh, a little bit crazy. So right. we're different people. I'm fine with like, yeah, let's have a party tonight and invite people over. And then I just come home with 10 people. And uh, that's not okay. That is not. And so we've had to figure out how to do that. Uh, Well, she needs warning. Uh, She needs time. (laughs) Even if I'm thinking, hey, let's do that tonight. I need to make a phone call, girl. Mm -hmm. And if she has that kind of warning, she, she, you know, it's better. 
I used to just kind of show up with 10 people. And I think, though, the end was the same. Because we both want to share this hospitality, because we both believe that it's so central to our faith. But what that looks like, so for Leroy, that means, oh, your house is always open and welcome and and your family and everything. And what that that's the highest value is that it's available. And for me, the highest value is that when people come, they feel comfortable. They feel that welcome, that welcoming. So I want the house to be prepared a certain way. If we're going to have food, I want that to be the right food. I want it to be set up a certain way. It's like how, what they come into is most important to me that people feel like, oh, I feel really comfortable here. Um, and I feel like if the place looks crazy or we don't have enough of something or whatever, then people don't feel as actually welcome because they don't feel like they feel uncomfortable that they have put you in an awkward position, which makes them feel awkward. And that does not feel like good hospitality to me. That's interesting to think about that because like, what I hear you guys saying is that there's this shared value, whatever that value is as a couple, like, yeah, we believe this to be true. This is something we want to be about this idea. Right. But the approach is coming in such two totally different perspectives, but yet as long as we can agree on this value as a couple, then let's, let's talk about what that means and the positives and negatives of how we get there. Yeah. We can work it out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I got another. I got a. I got a harder one here. Uh oh. So you have children. How many? Six. So it's six. Six, and mm-hmm. I know a bunch of them are boys. So tell me how it has been for you raising African American boys or children, just in general, but especially in this time and with all the things that's happening in society and the news and police stuff and all the things. How has that been for you raising black boys? I think in the beginning, we had two boys and a girl. And in Philadelphia, it was very different to raising kids in general where we lived. It was, you know, a general comfort in our community because it was all black and our church was all black. black, Right. Like it was it was a very comfortable space. Uh, for us and one we were used to, right? We were part of the Philadelphia culture. So they were being raised in that culture and nurtured in that culture where we didn't, we didn't always have to think about their identity as black men, as black boys being raised because their identity was being shaped the way we wanted it to be within our, you know, where we went to church within where they were going to school within our neighborhood, all those kind of things. Most of our family lived there. So identity shaping wasn't a big concern for them, for us then. When we moved to Atlanta, it was interesting because it became more of a thing for our kids because we moved from the North to the South. And what that meant for women, what, you know, our daughter is the best athlete in the family. And I spent more time playing sports with her, raising, you know, playing all those kind of things. But then when we moved to the South, there was a big problem with her doing those things Mm. in the culture. And so how their identity now was playing out was 
shaping our daughters so that she didn't feel second class being a woman and black woman in the South, but then shaping my boys on how you treat women and how, you know, their thoughts about women and all those kinds of things were that that became important mm. raising our boys then. So now it was an identity. There was a little bit of shift in how we had to had to do that because they were seeing some examples that we we uh, we didn't necessarily agree with. Uh, and we moved into a cross cultural space. So we started working. We started uh, intently being in community and working cross-culturally in the South black and white majorly. So, so it was important to kind of help shape their identity, us taking a little, a little more intentionality around their identity shaping. So those things were different North and South, and they were different racially between communities, black and white. Uh, as our boys got, um, they were cute little quote unquote black boys, right? up until a certain age, and then all of a sudden they were a problem or a nuisance or a threat, a threat right? Mm-hmm. That happened as they grew up. Uh, so where they keep Josh and Joel anymore, they were a threat Josh and Joel. They were a scary Josh and Joel. So helping them navigate that became, became important. What is the sum of the language that you used? I mean, I think for maybe other black couples listening that are struggling in this area or have a lot of fears about their children growing up in this society right now. What are some of the things that you've language, things you've said to your children, ways that you've kind of communicated these things to them? I think one of the things that comes to my mind is I remember saying to my my sons once, uh, if you end up in the back of a police car, your whole family is in that police car. So there is never any time that you will be looked at as disconnected from us. Wherever you are, whatever you do, you take all of us with you. Every time you leave this house, you represent us. And and I think I've, I've said that to them. I probably have said that to the other the children that we've worked with too, just in the community that you don't, it's funny, I guess I haven't phrased it this way, but this individualism is really not a privilege that as a person, as an African-American person, you get to enjoy. We are always fully looked at as connected to everybody else, everything you do, good or bad. Right. Yeah, and I think for my boys, uh, we've always said, I've always said to them, even when situations are hard, right, you, you're, you'll either control yourself or you will be controlled, right? That's, the, that's kind of how it goes for black men, right? And so even when somebody does something ridiculous, remember, control yourself in that situation or people will get be able to control you. And so there are instances where we've had you know, run it at, at a store, you know, and there's a problem with one of my kids and this person says they're going to call the police for something uh, that they shouldn't be. And then I, my kids would watch me get the phone and dial the police myself and have the, and I call the police to come over and intervene in the situation because I wanted to be the one to call the police. 
I wanted to be the one the police, when they walked up, asked for me. And I kind of modeled that for my boys. Like, if you don't control yourself and try to gain some control in the situation, you will be controlled immediately. So mm-hmm. We talk a lot about that. That's really good. It's kind of a little, I love the, the language you use there. You either control yourself or you will be controlled. I think that's exactly what you said, which I think it's interesting. It, it, it brings, it's a different way of approaching this idea of power, whether that's, um, and, and self-control somewhere in the midst of those two things. It's really beautiful. So I'm going to transition a little bit and looking ahead now, some like the age spectrum of your kids is very broad, but some of your kids are graduated they're starting, you know, they're starting they their own married. family. They got married, right? We had a uh, recent wedding. Uh, so I want to hear as a mom, as a dad, what's been going through your mind in the midst of that new season with kids go- getting kind of like, it's like getting beyond your, not that we have any control over our kids, but you know, they're out of your house and they're making their own decisions. I'm just curious in your minds, what are you guys processing now in this new season? And it's been the last few years, but how has that transition happened for you guys? I actually think it's good. The oldest ones now, because I think what happens is they come back around. So they're asking way more questions. They're much more open to counsel and advice. And so that's good. I think the hardest times are that in between time, like when they first think they're grownups <laughs> and um, from 18 to 25 and they're trying to make all of these decisions that they've been waiting their whole childhood to make and and you're kind of holding your breath as they are <laughs> making some of them well and some of them poorly. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the hard thing. But as they get post-25, or around 25, they something starts to change. And then all of a sudden, we no longer are idiots. We suddenly are wise people that they come and ask us things, right? <laughs> all of a sudden became wise, right? <laughs> oh, you know something. Let me ask you. And I think so. That's good. Um, but yeah, living through that. And I think, I think we're at a place now where most of our friends their kids are either age of our kids or much younger. And so whatever, they're in these different stages of parenting and we can look at that and be like, Oh yeah, I remember that. That'll pass. (laughs) (laughs) They'll live through that. No worries. So if you were to, let me, let me change the question a little bit. If you were to sit with some of those new, newer parents, I mean, even people in marriage that are in their first, let's say 10 years. And I know you sit with a lot of people and give, marriage and parenting advice. What, what would be those first pieces of advice that you would give? <laughs> Man, I think, I mean, we did this too, right? You like worry about everything, right? <laughs> every step, every, like, is this the right decision? Are we doing it right? Did they, did we harm them? All these kinds of <laughs> things. And uh, it's like, yeah, some of that stuff, like you're gonna look back and go, what that that didn't even matter. They don't that, remember. So so here's a <laughs> all right. Here's a great story. <laughs> so we were moving from Philadelphia to Atlanta, right? Big move in our lives, right? Big transition, north to south. We got three kids, so we like all right. We got to be careful. 
Like we we got to make sure we take the kids down there on a trip so that they can see it, get used to it, right? They, this will help confirm it. So we did all of that with Jess, Josh, and Joel. And and so then fast forward, right? And then we got Asia and John, and we're moving to Portland, right? Mm-hmm. And we come visit Portland. We go back home. We're like, okay. But, but it's just us. We come out. Same thing we did when we moved to Atlanta. The no, first we took thing. the kids with us. Oh yeah, we did take the kids yeah. with us because we need, we wanted to do that, right? But the two of us just came to to Portland, yeah. and then we went back home. But we're like, oh, we gotta get John and Asia out there to see yeah. it or whatever. So we're talking to Jess, our oldest at the time. She was uh, twenty five, so, and she's looking at us like, why are you doing that? Why you why you why you need to take them out there? And we're like. We took you when we moved to Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. And made sure you knew. It's just like, I don't, you did? I don't even remember that. Don't like, oh, <laughs> so this important move, big thing. All we're all worried about the kids. And she it. Like, it's not even, she's like, what? I don't even remember any of that. So, so the advice is like, don't. Some of that stuff, your kids are not even going to remember yeah half of the things you've done in those spaces. That you <laughs> and you're worried about their like future counseling. So yeah. what would um, you add to that, Donna? I think that's true. I, I think the other thing is that I say to parents that the kids are not the center of the family mm. and that they're part of the family and every person in the family is important, including mom and dad. So don't make them the middle and everything revolves around them. Every decision, every schedule, everything is around them because they will totally own that space and be like, yeah, everything is about us. Oh, <laughs> we yeah, take it will. all away. Right. And then we become run down or, or resentful or, or we have all this expectation from them of what they need to give back to us or owe to us because of all we sacrificed for them. And that I don't think that that's healthy long-term. I think that kids need not to be selfish and self-centered and um, that they need to know that mom and dad are just as important as they are to the family unit. And so that's what I always say to parents is don't put them in the center. They are part of the family. They are important family, but they're not the central figure in that family. If anybody's going to be center, it's going to be Jesus, right? But everybody is important. So if mom feels bad or mom is having a hard day or people, you know, whatever, her feelings are just as valid and just as important as when the child comes home and they had a hard day and somebody picked on them or whatever. Both of those things matter. And I think teaching mm. our kids caring and sensitive, empathetic people starts with teaching them to be caring and sensitive and empathetic to the people in the house they live with. And mm-hmm. um, often that's not what we're told. Like we're to, everything should be about them because they're children. And I, I think, I don't think that that's true. And they think learn to be more sensitive and caring about other people when they are asked to be required to be about you. I love that. I do agree with that a hundred, 
100%. (laughs) So let's talk about same in the same context of that family and things. What about y'all and your family and kind of the whole typical gender roles? How does that play out with you two? I know there's a lot of times this traditional sense of things, you know, from your heritage of, you know, from your families and how women are supposed to be and men supposed to be and all those things. How does that play out with you two? And how have you confronted kind of some of those things? We're just hitting real easy topics today, by the way, if you didn't yeah. ask, we're just going to be <laughs> light topics. Oh, you can handle it. <laughs> that has never been like stereotypical. Like this is the woman's role. She grew up in a family with all, all women. And so I think had a stronger voice than a lot of the other women that um, that I knew, but that didn't stop me from being traditional in my approach. And I think we started off where there was this expectation, expectation on my part, and pressure I think on to on her to be this certain thing and to operate in a certain way. And I think over time the growth has definitely had to be on my side more like I had to grow and I had to learn and understand because society backs me up as a man Um, Mm. and the roles that I think thought I should play right I had backup outside of the house I had backup on tv I had backup uh, you know in the bible I had backup like everywhere (laughs) I think the growth had to definitely be on, on, on me and I had to make those transitions for, for us to, for us to have equality, uh, in our, in our marriage. Yeah. My boys were the ones who took out the trash and the girls initially probably were the ones who were, no, I think they shared everything else. It was just like, if it's going to be heavy, dirty, messy, the boys are going to do it. if we have some if there's a bug that needs to be killed if there's something that's not not gender that's preference (laughs) (laughs) we kind of have gone with that um and i haven't had a problem with that when we come from the grocery store the guys would go out and bring the bags and now probably everybody girls and boys help help carry in the groceries so i think we yeah at first we were still pretty even but we leaned more towards tradition and now it's pretty much everybody does everything but i do expect this just happened yesterday we were getting on on an elevator and and i think asia stepped in the elevator and he kind of pushes past me to and there were two other ladies behind us for him to get on the elevator first and um when we went to get off, he was getting ready to get off, and I pulled him back, and I said, you will not get off till every other woman on this elevator gets off. And so I think there are instinctual things that I still think of as you, what a gentleman does and how he respects women. But for me, those things don't... I feel like I'm a strong woman, and whether or not you open the door for me, for me doesn't change that. <laughs> like, I'm not right. going to be strong because oh Mm -hmm. this guy opened the door so i don't have this fight with the men of no i can open a door for myself nope i want you to open the door i want you to pull out the chair i want you to carry the heavy stuff and that doesn't in any way 
make me feel any less of a leader, a woman, or anything. Right. It just makes me feel careful. And I want my son to my sons to be those type of men. So yeah. those are I love that. I think this leads a little bit in my mind to you, the, both of you started this thing called the Voices Project, and and I'd love for you to share what the intention is of that. But in my perspective, I'm thinking about it and going, there are voices in our society that don't always get platformed, right? And so how how do we intentionally give platforms to people that should be heard more? That would be like a quick synopsis in my head of how I'd explain it. But I'd love to hear from from the two of you of your intention in this, because it's it's a project you both believe in deeply. And I think you could really educate our community about it. Quick explanation of voices is we train and promote leaders of color. And uh, how we do that is geared in a lot of what we've been talking about, identity, helping people and leaders of color be okay with their identity as a person of color and letting that be the thing that guides them, that they don't have to uh, step back, ease up, not give their opinions, not those types of things in the context of which they desire to work or where they feel their giftings are. Um, and a lot of times that looks like us going to lunch or dinner with a couple or with a leader and encouraging them um, and figuring out kind of, who they are, what their voice is. Um, sometimes it looks like, hey, you should be a writer. Uh, let's talk to this group about you getting a book contract or whatever. Like it, 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 It's rooted in that space of your voice can be authentic and your identity can be shaped differently than majority culture, and it's okay. We want you to lead with that and not feeling the pressure of having to lead going through white culture to do that. So that's, that's a quick synopsis. Hmm. All right. Well, we're coming to the end. So we're going to ask our last question, which is the question that we ask everybody, but is it possible to change the world? Both of you in your either individual or together pursuits, uh, stay in love and raise a healthy family. And we would love both your takes on that. And it's, hey, it's okay if you guys have different <laughs> opinions. It's okay, right? Since I mean, we started that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's definitely possible. I think, though, it doesn't just happen. I think you have to be committed to it, and I think you have to work at it always. There has to be the, I think, the settled idea in your mind and your heart that we are going to be together. It is not okay to just walk away from this, that we have to. So that means when there is conflict, when there is disagreement, whatever, we have to find a way to make it work and a way to, back to each other. There's no, you can't leave. <laughs> so now <laughs> how do we stay? Mm -hmm. um, I think having that commitment is really important. And then knowing that we have to keep that we have to keep working at it. And I, and I say to people who are thinking about marriage that marriage is probably the hardest thing you will ever do in your whole life, but it's a good thing. And I don't think I would ever change it or, or, or would ever have not done this, but it's something that you have to continue to work at and to work on 
And I think it's just important, especially for women, to be committed to knowing who you are and keeping your whole self, just like we would say to people of color, keeping your whole self in the relationship and in the space. I think so many women over the course of marriage disappear. Mm. And wow. you have to work against that to, to, to keep yourself there, like who you really are. The person, when you were a little girl, you were dreaming to be, you have to remember that and hold on to that and pursue that. Um, and hopefully you are with a person who supports that and pursues that as well. I love that, Donna. Leroy, I don't know if you can beat that, but I'm going to give you the opportunity. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I love Donna um, with all my heart, and I want to change the world with all my heart. And we have been able to do that by um, committing to each other and uh, sticking in there, working through some hard, hard things, and also uh, keeping our focus outside of ourselves, keeping our focus on if we're going to change the world, we're going to do it together, and we're going to commit to doing that. And so those two commitments have changed me. It's allowed us to do some incredible things together. It's allowed us to be deeply disappointed together. Mm. Our family, you know, when we started this, people were like, your family, how are you going to do this with your family? You've got all these big, grandiose ideas, and we've been able to bring our family along in this, in this process. And, uh, man, watching our son get married brought such a deep sense of completion and joy. Wow. Um, for him to pledge his heart to another person and knowing um, how that heart was shaped, that was just, like, I, that was a reward for all of this stuff uh, that yeah. I didn't expect. And, uh, mm. yeah. and I think seeing even the choices that they are beginning to make as adults that are consistent with the big ideas that we have attempted to teach them the model before them in their lives. Like that's also been very satisfying to see. Mm. Um, I definitely think you can do these things and you should. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We love it. You guys. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Hopefully we didn't ask too hard of questions. We have pages and pages of notes here. This is great. I'm glad y'all are the perfect couple to actually do that. So, uh, <laughs> what does that mean? We applaud this work. It is it's great. So, you say that because you know how much we argue about stuff. I, I, I know the two of you. So, <laughs> I think our relationship is very similar to y'all's mm. in the sense of how much we fight. I mean, I really, I think Leroy said everything just right today. I just really. (laughs) Just the other day, it was a couple days ago. I said, you know, if every man would just start from the premise that you are probably wrong. Like then we could go. We'd be good. Let's just start. Let's start there. (laughs) Hang on. We stopped recording, right? We stopped. (laughs) No, we're going to keep that on. Oh, uh, we miss you guys. Wish you were here. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Come back to Thanks. Atlanta. All right. <laughs> All right. See y'all. Bye. Bye.
And now it's time for the breakdown. I love that interview and I love them so much. And so what did you think? Oh, thanks for asking. <laughs> One of the quotes that I said, I, I love that you still think I'm funny. This is good. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for this time with you. But more importantly, going back to Leroy and Donna, I have a quote from Donna and she basically said, we are going to be together. Like as a framework for <laughs> all the arguments that you and I have to look at each other and say, we are going to be together. Now what? Yeah. Given all the disagreements, yeah. given all that you think this, I think that here's how it should be. Here's how it not, should not be. do we have them. Then let's agree that we say, we are going to be together. Now what? Mm-hmm. That's a very tangible thought. Yeah. Yes. And it gives a sense of security, right? I mean, I think for if you're always putting this option B out there or this possibility of end or this divorce word or things like that, I think to me, I would feel a little insecure in that. Mm. I would think it's like walking on eggshells, right? So I don't really want to... It's like optional. Yeah, but I also don't really want to say what I think because that could be your out, you know? And so... I do like that in a sense of like security. And of course, please know, caveat here, that we're not talking about like abuse and horrible, th- you know, we're not talking about any of that. We're just talking about groundwork. Right. What about you? Well, you definitely mentioned this in our your intro and in our intro, but that kids are not the center of the family. I think that's very, very true. But I also think it coincides with the same thing about women disappearing in the marriage. Like, I think a lot of times those go hand in hand. Right. Like the kids start to take over that identity a little bit. Yes. And then our identity is like wrapped up in these children. So then it becomes a lot about like them, right? Are they doing well in school, doing well in sports? Because if they're doing well, then that means... I, as a woman, am doing well, like I'm doing my job or I'm doing, do you see what I mean? And I think that's where we lose ourselves uh, a little bit as women. I think focusing so much on our kids and their behaviors and whether it's measuring up to what we want or not is where we lose who, who I am. It doesn't matter what the kids do or don't do. Who am I? What do I love? What brings me joy? What brings passion to my heart and soul. And anyways, I kind of blended those two together a little bit. And it resonates. Um, I have a quote from Leroy that he taught his sons that was really good. You either control yourself or you will be controlled. I thought that was, um, he was, this was the conversation we were having about um, raising his kids and the tensions in in a racist culture that we live in and all the tensions, especially that have gone on in recent years, but historically also in I just thought it was an interesting approach and phrase to educate his kids in the tension of power and how to rise above it. And um, I don't know. I thought that was was really good. Yeah. I think for anybody uh, raising African-American boys and girls, I think that that is crucial to to all of the things and and even just how 
you know, raising our boys to how we should be treating women and raising our, our daughters. I mean, I loved how you talked about her, how his daughter was like the best athlete in the family Mm -hmm. and like how he could still just in, you know, give her like dignity and strengthen who she was, despite that it didn't kind of like go with cultural norms. yeah. Yeah. Or whatever that is. So I loved like all of those kind of principles um, with children too. I thought one of the funny things I said was um, to stop worrying about everything because your kids will not remember any of it. <laughs> like they just don't remember the things you think that they're going to remember. I thought that was so funny. And, and it, it kind of, for me, I was like, that's kind of nice to know that they're not going to remember Everything. I know. I'm so worried about like their counseling bills and all these sessions that they're going to need because of, I'm sure, things I've done. But no, no, I think for me, it's, it's, it was also really great to hear that because it's like all these little things come up in school mm-hmm. and certain, you know, conflicts with other children or other, fa- you know, all these little things that just take up so much of my headspace. Mm. Oh, it was really nice to hear that and be like, you know what? I think I can just let it go in the big picture of it all. That's right. Well, this has been another great episode of Love or Work. If you're following along, I would encourage you to share it with a friend. Share it. If this connected with you, yeah, just email it to a friend or text it to a friend or make sure you subscribe if you don't already subscribe to the podcast. And you can follow everything that we're doing by following our Instagram account, instagram.com forward slash love or work. We look forward to seeing you or hearing from you in the next week. See ya.